This episode is being recorded out of Shop Talk Podcast Studio in Oak Park, Michigan. For more information, visit shoptalkpodcaststudio.com. Over West Side, everybody know everybody, right? I got nothing but love in my heart for West Side niggas, nothing but love. Pink suits with hats to match. Big crocodiles with Cadillacs. You looking for the fattest sacks. This is where it's at. Windows tinted. Seats for lyric line. Keep the hands on the burner. Cause niggas know that it's money on the Yo, what up though? Shaman J. Johnson, aka the tinfoil hat titan, aka the conspiracy realist, aka the technology snob, Steve Jobs Jr. Don't text him with your green bubbles. AKA I only debate my equals, everybody else I teach. Also known as Juice, because all the hoes say, J.U. Ice, Young Caesar, because you know you can't roam without me. Mister, if you don't like me, fight me. I got kicked out of Noah's Ark because they couldn't find another animal just like me. A.K.A. the West Side T'Challa, the new leader of Wakanda. Don't debate me, debate your mama. I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. What up? What up, though? I know this is kind of off and we doing intros, but the Wi-Fi in this bitch is jumping. I couldn't download some stuff I needed to at the crib, so I had to wait till I got to the studio and it's doing everything that I needed to do. It's your man, Dame, three underscores, three one three, the West Side Landlord, the Pride of PA, High Chief Dame, don't fuck around, the liquor store legend, the corner store conquistador, your mama's favorite Dame. And the David Ruffin of the Shop Talk podcast, because you know who the fuck they came to see. Not you, Otis. It's no better than these four letters. Thank God for Dame. And if you're speaking on Dame, you better say it nice. And if you don't put the boss in front, then bitch, you're not saying it right. Let's go. Yo, welcome back. Shop Talk podcast episode 275. On On you, hoes. Uh, Consecutive weeks. Yeah, man. And uh, shout out to y'all, man, for tapping in. Uh, first and foremost, shout out to everybody who came out to our live show on Saturday. Had it packed out, man. Had man, had the hookah bar packed out. It was a good look. Um, I got a little faded, you know. Had a great Gee, night. You got really <laughs> faded. Did you I have a chaperone really, on the way home? I didn't. Have, I wasn't really faded. Uh, I've been really faded before. Uh, yes, but, uh, but I had a nice. I had a nice. Uh, a nice, comfortable buzz, and uh, had a great night, man. Uh, Glad to see y'all faces. We ain't seen y'all since the last time it was a Friday the thirteenth. We're recording this on Friday the thirteenth, by the way. Yeah. Uh, last year, Friday the thirteenth, we shut it down, and hopefully, we open things back up with this last one. But it, we had a nice turnout, man. A lot of people I hadn't seen in a while, uh, and it's always good to reach out and connect with folks. Yeah, man. I played some couple games. Got a lot of interaction. I mean, I got the audio. I, I don't know if I wanted to give it to y'all or not. I just don't know. <laughs> we thought of, we we debating on putting it on Patreon. Um, maybe maybe just a little little addition. I might drop that audio like when one of us not able to make it or some shit. Who knows where it could be next is. week then. <laughs> so anywho, man. But uh, how, how was your week, my brother? Man, week is good. Uh, yo, I found my I found my I think I found my young in his ride, which I'm elated about. He's been. You know, he didn't did everything right. I need to get my baby out here on his wheels. Man, that's what's up, dog. So I go I go look at the car tomorrow. All goes well. He'll be he'll be out in these streets. Uh, you know, if you're listening, say a prayer for me. I got this surgery coming up on Tuesday. Gotta get a defibrillator. Uh I've been watching like the surgery all week on YouTube just to kind of like yeah. see what they're gonna do to my body. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's how it's, you feeling? 
ain't nervous because I look at it. Nah, come on, my nigga. No, no, I, I, I'm honest. <laughs> I'm honestly not nervous because, you know, I look at I try and look at it the optimistic way, at least that I'm healthy enough Thanks. where I can where my body can withstand these surgeries. That's a fact. You know, if I was like really weak and fucked up, they, you know, they just going to let you roll just exactly how you are. So, you know, I'm I ain't really worried about it. Take a little time off of work, you know, recoup. Get my Call of Duty game on, and you know, be back out in these streets in about a week or so. That's what's up, man. Well, you know, got a lot of good people who volunteered to come in and check on me, and bring me, bring me a hot meal every now and again. So, you know, I got the love of my family and my people around me, so I'll be good. That's what's up, man. That's good to hear. Uh, anything else? What else? That's it. That's all I can think of. Oh, uh, man. Kanye still ain't dropped. That's cool. I heard you dropping on a Sunday anyway, um, which is I I want everybody to stop dropping on Friday. You don't got to <laughs> like what, what? Why are y'all waiting? Well, why is Friday so special to y'all? Like, what do y'all think? What kind of advantage do you think that gives you? I just don't I don't get it. Is it is it like a fiscal week for the music industry? Like so, like niggas looking at numbers or something, or like I'm just I'm just asking. I'm just trying to make. I mean, I guess back in the day when it was on Tuesday, remember, like, you can we, like judge first week numbers, but like we used to work in a company. You know, the fiscal month was different than the than the normal calendar month, and that's how we judge. But you that's know, the a, numbers. That's one specific company. I'm a nigga that lives in <laughs> in my apartment or some shit. But, or, Kanye, but Kanye also works in the confines of a machine. He's dropping on a Sunday. What I'm talking about is regular niggas who live in the city. Who make oh, you just shit. talking about like why MC so and so? Why are y'all waiting till Fridays? Like specifically, like I don't understand. When that shit is ready to drop, drop that shit, my nigga. You gonna wait till you gonna wait till future drop on the same day? No, but I, I think I think in the city it's a little bit different. Not to say that like Friday should be like that's the day, but it should be like some type of rollout and anticipation. I'm so tired of niggas just dropping shit out the blue. Like why y'all think that's the that, it's know, just man. it's just a new business model, but we it's a horrible business model because y'all don't got the streams to back it up. Like, say you got a really that good first day, what if you would have promoted that shit for a month or for two weeks or something? Like, that's I I understand what you're saying, but like that's that's the antiquated way of do. You know when 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 we were coming up and I used to listen to music, you know you would see the ad in the source, you know that such and such is dropping come August. You you start seeing them ads in the source maybe around May June. You get a street single, then you get you know you, the 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 ramp up will be there. That's the the rollout would take months. Like people don't invest that type of money into it right now. Unless you if you got a buzz, you better hurry up and capitalize on it. I just disagree. It don't make sense. I don't I don't think it's always the for it don't got to be months. But like, why you think that on this one particular day the algorithm gonna be in your favor? And I'm going to see your shit on this particular. I don't day. know if you hashtag like the rollout is a hashtag. Nobody do hashtag. No more. That's not a thing no more. And a promo video on Instagram. That's that's the best you're going to get. May the algorithm be in your favor on this one specific day. Hey, man. While everybody else is dropping on that same day. You just got to hope you got to hope that your buzz is strong enough. All right, man. Like, that's all you can hope for. I mean, like y'all don't just don't waste a project like that. You know what I'm saying? Trying to you know that shit gonna be. I think weird. it's only a waste of a project if you're a, a brand new artist. Everybody if you got a something, brand to, new artist. It's <laughs> a if, million people dropping music all the time. I'm saying if you got a if you got a following, this is my second or third project. I think you can 
you can maneuver that a little bit differently. But when you drop music, yes, you're dropping music for the people who fuck with you, but you're trying to get new people. I'm not about to base everything on, well, my the people who already follow me going to listen. No, I want to expand my expand my listener base that's what the algorithms and the retweets got to be in your favor that's why you're rolling the dice that's why i think that's why the difference from from people who be doing okay and then people who actually do really good because we've been talking about a kanye west album for three weeks now because everybody knows it's coming like why would if you put all your hard work and effort into a project please tell somebody it's coming like why would you not it doesn't matter about telling somebody. It, this is just one one way I look at it. It doesn't necessarily matter about telling somebody it's coming. Like, you got to have something for people to look forward to. Drop a snippet. You about to drop a video. Like, actually do a rollout. You know what I'm saying? That's what I said. You drop your Instagram video. The day of? Like, I'm saying, <laughs> these day, you're not big enough to have a surprise release. Now, everybody's not big. I won't say you. But everybody not big enough to have a surprise release. I get it. Beyonce did that one day, and not everybody been rough. You not everybody not is big enough to have a surprise. Beyonce release. is the anomaly. I tell you what, old school tactics still work in a new in, in this new era. So I look at uh, you know, we didn't had Chaz and uh, B in here. Like I've been sitting there and watching them work an actual project, take that motherfucker from city to city, do their own tours. Connect with local DJs, connect with local broadcasting. Now I'm now I look up, they performing in the, at the fucking palace. Like you, you may have Hoping a hot for the song. Pistons, yeah. You may have a hot song, but they actually working a record. You don't. You just upload that shit to Instagram. And be like, yo, y'all niggas not fucking with me. We didn't know. <laughs> no, I I agree. I see Chaz and P Dot all over. They performing everywhere. Everywhere they get an opportunity to, they doing the whole interview circuit they they sit down with whom with whomever got a, a platform and an open door it's like yo you open up a business and the only advertising that you ever did was your the day of the day that your business opened i push it on the internet no fam that's not that's not how you you want your business to do to do good right tell people you about to have a grand open like give me something other than the day of it makes sense but i mean you know what do we know? We've only run a semi-successful business for almost half a decade. I mean, I mean, we only do that. <laughs> I only handle digital stuff. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we run podcasts. Oh man, run... you you had a big week. You was uh featured in in a magazine this or in a in an online article this week. Yeah, man. Shout out to um, shout out L.A. Um, uh, uh, online mag. Well, they have a physical magazine as well. Um, but uh, a company out of LA, um, they reached out and uh, did a cool little interview, and I uh, thought it was a, it was it was a good look for me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying a lot of people was uh, a lot of people had a lot of feedback. Um, That's what's up, man. I'm proud of you. I appreciate it, and you I know? appreciate the shout out with my whole government. You know, name. you gotta put you got you gotta <laughs> give everybody they just do. So I had to put me your, and Anthony had to put y'all whole four and Anthony you know. Bernard Wood Jr. <laughs> hey, that's what his Facebook said, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because when they could Google your name, that need to come up too. Because ain't no shop talk and or this week in culture without both of y'all. So, hey man, we appreciate it. It was a good look. I'm proud of you, brother. Um, so that was a good shout out. Um, I think, well, not I think. Uh, Barry. Uh, had tipped them to me and they checked me out and we did the thing so shout out to Barry yeah man uh, shout out to just good people um, got a good circle around us looking out for you and then you know they ask who 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 is another person that you should look out for or who should we be checking out for and of course 
said Crystal White. W by Crystal Wright. Like yeah. she, she getting her shit in. So. And I saw Crystal at the Agenda show. I can't wait till her line is in Nordstrom's or, you know, some other huge retailer, man. She on her way. Yeah. Um, shout out to Name Tag, too. Name Tag hit me up last week. Um, somebody reached out to him about an opportunity to... Um, there's a Heroes program in the city um, with the children. They do audio, video, um they do a lot, right? And mm-hmm. um, someone reached out to talk. It's like a mentorship program? Yeah. Well, they actually, they get paid. It's like a paid internship, and they learn everything about the arts, from the music to video to podcasting to editing to whole nine yards. What, what type of grade level are they looking at? Uh, I did with these. These kids was in high school. Okay. Um, so, any long story short, uh, name tag say, oh, I think Jay Johnson probably be a better fit for this. So, I met with them. Did a virtual uh, training with them on Thursday uh, for about an hour and walked them through. Once you got your content, how you upload it to online to get it out to different uh, service providers about monetization, about a whole bunch of different things, man. So uh, they was really receptive and that was a dope, uh, a dope thing. Um, and I also talked to the people who run the program. We're going to bring them in there because it's like an extreme. Bring the kids in? We're going to bring the uh, people who put the program together in okay. to talk a little bit more about it. Um, the children have a podcast as well. Um, so uh, I might bring them and <laughs> bring them on and do something with them. That's uh, what's up, man. You know, I I like that idea because, you know, a lot of those, we we didn't have things like that to kind of cultivate that direction of where I want, of maybe where I wanted to go at that young in life. And maybe if I had seen something, a little bit different than what I knew. It wouldn't have took me so long to get here. You know, um, I'll be thinking about that. And like, uh, you know what? Let's introduce our guest. Cause he probably has some, con- the, some, some, some input to put on. This so guy. I'm really glad that we got this guest in here. I've known his brother for a long time. We go back to skipping school <laughs> in the halls of Cass tech. Uh, it's, it's a good friend of mine, a, a, a educator, a uh, member of the think tank. And, you know, man, we we big on black male educators here. So I'm just ha- happy to have him in the building, in the building, Mr. Kente Rosser. What's up, everybody? I'm happy to be here. How y'all doing? What's evening? going on? Good, brother. Man. Good. Hey, and just for the record, I had a pass to be in the hall. I want that to be clear. <laughs> I wasn't skipping. I always had a pass. So. Now that I think about it, man, because, you know, I went to cast for the first two years, so okay. we probably didn't bump into each probably, other. yeah. I had a elevator pass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what was saying? wrong with you? My knee, I had, I, my knees was fucked up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to sit out my uh, the first semester. Matter of fact, I had to take swimming twice. That's when I learned how to swim. I couldn't take gym. I took swimming twice. Uh, I never took swimming. I've never seen Cass pool, man. I'm sc- I'm Ms. scared to death of water. Miss Servo. Yep, I had Miss Servo too. Yep. And, and for those of you who don't know, elevator passes were hard to come by. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. golden that ticket. That yeah. That's the golden right ticket. It was. Niggas be mad as hell. I slid <laughs> on that elevator. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, nigga, my. So what it was, what, and, was what, and wouldn't that really be like how people would approach? Like, what's wrong with you? Why? Yeah. Why you get to get on the elevator? So the issue was the cartilage in with my knee, and it was rubbing, and it was rubbing the rate of cartilage. So. They went and did something, and it was like, you got to stay off of it. And eight flights of stairs was not ideal for it. I'm like, oh, I can give me an elevator pass off this yeah, one. Yeah, man. Uh, so it's the a, good life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ran track at the end of the year. So I had to sit out the first couple of semesters. I couldn't play any sports. So ninth grade, I did run track, 10th grade, and then went to Cody. And you know how that shit go. 
Slummed it out. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to say, so you say, you know, we didn't really have things like that. And I got to thinking, like, I think we did. Um, but that's like, that's what Votech was. That's what all these programs, like. I never took, you know, I'll be honest, I never took Votech. Dapset and all these, pro- like, it was a bunch of stuff where I remember my brother was in it. He was like soldering different shit. They were doing automotive and he ultimately went in towards the automotive side. Like we had that type of shit. Um, they had like cooking classes. I took advantage of it for um, like I my 12th grade year, I got out of school after third hour and because I had Voltec and I just had to work at a restaurant. Now that restaurant was Boston Market and I didn't go to work till five o'clock. <laughs> so <laughs> my whole 12th grade year, I had like a, a one to three or whatever. Yeah. But I think right. it was there. However, that shit just wasn't as cool as the technology that we got available now. Like you couldn't be an audio engineer. You have to be, you have to have in a giant studio somewhere. I think the technology now is just. I remember I took my son to visit Cass and Big Sean and I forget the, was it Big Sean or was it Pusha T? It was some, something in conjunction with Adidas and they had built. Big Sean did build a studio. Yeah. And they built an actual studio, uh, the full fledged state of the art recording studio inside of Cass. I've never been in a new Cass. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Them kids is getting. We thought the old cast. Well, half of the building was the new cast. Yeah, but it wasn't. It's 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 a state of the art building at this point. So I mean, you know, they got a greenhouse. It, you know, a lot of a lot of nice indoor amenities. You know, just things that we, you know, just didn't have at that time. So let me ask both of you guys. So, do you think that there was lack of opportunity or these programs or were we just kids and not looking at what was available for us because we was kids i think it's a little bit of both <clears throat> ironically i forget who i was talking this was just yesterday i was just talking about my experiences and transitions from high school to college and how although the supports were there we had counselors we had guidance counselors etc Either I was not as ambitious as I needed to be, or I just didn't travel in the circles to where those messages got to me. Yeah. Because specifically, I limited myself coming out of high school in the colleges I applied to. Had I applied to more, I would have gotten into more, I would have had more options. Yeah. I limited myself drastically in not applying for scholarships. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do you let that happen? Like, how do you let someone who is looking to go to college, looking to further themselves and you not kind of groom them or find some way to support them and, and find these avenues for financing college and making sure you pick the right classes? And let's not even talk about what happened when I got to college my first year. You know, we were just talking before we started. My first year of college was at Ferris State and I made a, a classic mistake that no freshman should make. I declared a major, which was engineering. And not only did I declare a major of my 12 full-time credits, nine of those were engineering classes. Not only were those engineering credits, nine engineering credits that I took, one of the classes was a six-credit class double block. So, you know, that's a recipe for disaster right there. So explain why that's a recipe for disaster. Is that because it's your first year or how? Yeah, so it's a lot wrapped up into that. My first year, yes, um, typically... Uh, what you find is your first year, your first two years, you're just dealing with prerequisites. Okay. You really shouldn't get into your major classes if you've declared a major to your junior and senior year. So the mistake that I made, which was a snowball effect, 
Like I said, full-time student, 12 credits. Nine of those are engineering uh, uh, yeah, engineering classes. One of those is a six-credit uh, uh, drafting class, which I ended up dropping. So now I'm a part-time student with six credits in fear of losing my financial aid. Mm. So in order to keep my financial aid, my second semester, I had to take 18 credits to balance out. Now I'm overloaded. Now I drop a class, I fail a class, you know, it's a whole story from there. So long story short, I didn't get kicked out of Ferris, but I ended up leaving after my first year. Could not transfer directly to Wayne because I was in a deficit. So I had to go to community college for a semester, which I did. I went to Henry Ford, took one class. It was a history class, got a B plus, got my grades up, got into Wayne. And then I declared my major education. So that and that's what I stuck with. That's what I've been doing for a career for the past 17 years. But, you know, it was a, a, a very expensive yet valuable lesson learned at first year of college. Mm. That's tough. Um, I forgot how we got there. You know, you were you were talking about like the, uh, you know, counselors or yeah. not not necessarily the resources not being there, but you needed some type of direction. Yeah. You needed somebody to to help point you in the right direction or, or do the right things. And when I think about like when we went to CAS, you know, it's, it's 3000 students mm-hmm. amongst what, tw- maybe 20 counselors. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's with that type of workload, it's really hard for them to hone in yeah. on who needs that specific type of help in order to, to get to where they need to be. You know, I was fortunate enough. My counselor was Mr. Washington mm-hmm. and I was fortunate enough that, you know, he stayed in because I was getting in a lot of trouble. He stayed in constant contact with my mother. So, I mean, you know, if there were programs or resources or things that he thought I I should be doing, I, I knew he was talking to her enough where it would trickle down. And that's, you know, only because I was more or less a problem case. But like there were I could look at friends of mine who were on their way on the trajectory of going off to, you know, a traditional university yeah. setting that could definitely have used more help in in trying to obtain scholarships or even some direction and where they where they should move to or make their next step. I don't even remember uh, my counselor from Cass or Cody. And when it comes to I mean, I was always a smart kid, always had good grades. When it came to 12th grade, I think I applied to like three schools that I got in, mm-hmm. but I didn't go. Like there was no, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I applied to Michigan State, got in, Ferris State. All my college wanted me to come run with them because uh, I ran track, but they, they didn't have a, a scholarship. So you like you got to pay the first year and then we'll get you next year. But like there wasn't a conversation. No one was like, yo, you should probably like, you getting kind of close to the, to the end yeah. of the semester. You should probably do something different because- what you about to do? And I, I didn't do shit. I'm following. I'm running behind some my girlfriend at the time and not paying attention to nothing. I'm like on autopilot. And I never no one ever had a conversation like, yo, mm-hmm. you probably should lock something down so that, you know. And I look back like, damn, maybe I, I spent so much time in Michigan State. Like, maybe I should have <laughs> just went here. You, you know, know I, I guess for me, my, my parents are both educators. My father worked at Wayne County Community College. So I took classes down there just enough to keep them off of my back. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I went to Specs Howard, it wasn't like I had like some huge interest in radio cause I, or, or television because I didn't. I just remember sitting at home one day playing the original PlayStation. You know, every day my, my father's schedule was like clockwork. 
he coming up the steps mm-hmm. five thirty every afternoon, every single day. That's just just his schedule. And I remember him coming up the steps one day. We made eye contact as he walked into my parents' room. I'm sitting on the edge edge of the bed playing PlayStation, and I don't hear the door open. He just doubled back. He sit down on the bed. He's like, "Look, son." You out of high school, you 18, mm-hmm. you working at Wendy's. I think I was working at Wendy's and Ticketmaster, and I'm, I might take a class a semester. Mm-hmm. He, he told me, he said, look, he said, either you're going to go to school full time, you're going to work full time, or you're going to get out of my house. I got a similar <laughs> story, man. So um, I forgot about this part of my life. So the reason I picked the major of engineering, because my older brother is an engineer. Okay. When I was younger, watching him, successful, legit I'm talking the lifestyle, man. House in Rosedale Park, uh, three car garage. Each yeah. each bay is full with cars, so that's why I picked engineering. So in between the time I left Ferris and got into Wayne State and was waiting to hear back from Henry Ford Community College, I was going on a different trajectory. I was going to go to, I believe, ITT Tech, and I don't even think they're around anymore. But at the no. time, they were. They were out there. And yeah. so I remember I was excited, man. I hit him up like, look, bro, man, I just went to this program uh, uh, orientation. They got like a a nine-month program, fast track, this, that, and the third. I ran down all the details that they had just ran me, almost like I was reading directly from the pamphlet. And I remember him being silent on the phone. It was like, man, we got to talk. And so I think that he was kind of seeing like, man, that's not for you. Stop. That's not, it's no, it's no, it's no shortcuts. You know, you need to be back in the university. That's what you've always said you wanted to do, so on and so forth. And I, I remember like it was yesterday, and it was really the, the, the kick in the pants that I needed because, you know, if I was already um, at Ferris engineering major and that wasn't for me, why would I perpetuate that going to a technical college? And that's not for me either. And right. he knew that about me. So, yeah, we had a similar conversation, a similar interaction with Big Bro. And But, but you know what? That's... The fact that it, it, it both occurred for us, you know, in the ways that it did. But, like, I wish, you know, I would have been, number one, receptive at a younger age yeah. to, to take that information. And I wish somebody would have told me probably, like, around 11th grade that looked like you need to figure out something. Yeah. You know, because they – what I look at in high school is they let these uh, recruiters from, like, the Army and the Navy – they come talk to you. They sell you a dream. You're going to see the world. You're going to travel. You know, we'll pay for school. And, and, and they let, they let that type of recruitment take place. But, you know, I, I guess I just wasn't in a position where, you know, I could go on a college tour yeah. or go see, see certain things that would have maybe opened up my eyes differently to the university yeah. experience. All my homies that went away to school after a year or two, they was back on the block. So I'm like, you know, in my mind, it wasn't it wasn't worth the investment for me. Man, I I I, I had that same sentiment. Like, I wish I was like more receptive to some stuff because I remember one conversation in, in in the dining room. My mom was like, yeah, "You need to like you need to start filling out some apps." You know what I'm saying? But like, that's all I remember because like when I was a kid, I was like an autopilot zombie mode. I don't I don't think I was I wasn't conscious about anything. I'm just living day by day, and um. I didn't. I ended up going to NIT. Um, and I was just up there with my girlfriend at the time, sitting in the lobby, looking at some shit on the wall. And I'm walking and a lady come up to me. And I'm like, yo, this com- this little electronic shit look kind of cool. So 
I end up going there. She didn't even go. Oh wow! And then that's how I fell in love with all this tech shit because I wasn't always like the tech guy. Um, but we got in that bitch and started building radios and computers and doing all this shit, and that just took on a life of itself. Um, and so I, I, I remember I got accepted to Ferris State, Eastern Michigan, and I got ex- a, a conditional acceptance to Western Michigan University. And obviously, I, I decided to go to Ferris. Um, so essentially, everywhere I applied for, I got in. Mm-hmm. But I could have aimed a little bit higher because I know some people with um, less credentials than I had that got into schools mm-hmm. that I could have seen myself going to. But again, just not really capitalizing on the moment, not really following through and not really having the proper guidance. Um, so yeah, I do kind of wish things would have gone differently, but to your point that you mentioned a second ago, I I think it's important though, and I didn't hear you arguing against this, but I think it's important that those, uh, armed service recruiters do come mm-hmm. because it provides an avenue for some that may not be interested in college or trade school. So it is a means to an end, a, a very, a, a very good means to an end for students and just to have options. I think it's important to expose students at an early age, as early as elementary, to all of the options that await them. So my son, who's nine, when he was four, I remember taking him to I started taking him on these college tours. So I took him to, at, at four. I took him to U of M. And each college I took him to, it was the same intro. Son, this is a university. It's one of several. I just want to give you, you know, let you see what it's like. You can go anywhere you want. By the time you get to be of college age, you'll have options galore. But this is just one. Mm -hmm. And so took him to U of M, took him to U of D, took him to Wayne State, uh, took him to Mary Grove. Uh, Eastern Michigan, all the local colleges. So you just was taking them and walking around, or do you schedule something with like someone who? Nope, just taking them and walking around, Uh, seeing you know the student center. Took them to. We couldn't get into the big house, but took them to the big house. You you can see enough of the big house from the exterior. You see the scoreboard. You see the big block. Yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's that's man. Yeah, yeah, man. So so nope, nothing planned. Uh, nothing scripted, just freestyling, freelancing. Just take them to those places. Just I took them to U of M Dearborn as well, um, and Howard. So I had to. So my plan was and still is to take them to as many local schools as possible. At least one HBCU, which we checked that box. Took them to Howard and Ivy League, which we haven't made it to uh, to the, to an Ivy League school yet, but. So those were just so he could get all of these different exposures and experiences just so he could see what it's like. You know, you know, to your point about the the armed forces coming in, uh, I mean, black people, we got a certain relationship with the armed forces. Mm -hmm. Uh, But believe it or not, everything that you can do on the outside, you can do in the military Mm -hmm. from photography, from electrician, from everything. And then once you get out, they pay you significantly more money when you have. Oh, I was a because that's what they told us. Like all the professors who were at NIT all came from the armed forces. So we learned about the resistors and Mm -hmm. capacitors. Like if you were if you got military in there, you automatically getting paid higher. So you know historically though, it wasn't always like that. Okay, and if you think back, the GI Bill, which we've all heard of. Mm 
But the GI Bill did not provide the same opportunities for minorities who were mm-hmm. returning from war as it did for the majority. So those um, um, intros into college or tuition covered or uh, homeowners assistance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which was provided by the GI Bill, didn't didn't necessarily apply to blacks. Mm. So, you know, historically, systemically, you know, it, I won't say recent because it's been, you know, military uh, benefits have uh, been um, in existence for African-Americans for a while now. But historically, it wasn't always like that. But to your point, I agree with you 100 percent. It's a lot of benefits for a student who comes out of high school and enters into the military for their while they're in the armed services, as well as post armed services, discounts, benefits, tuition, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent there. One of my homeboys who run uh, Flash Film Media Academy and Flash Film Media out of Dallas, mm-hmm. he went to the Army. As like he was like twenty three, twenty four. We was like, "Fam, what are you, what are you doing?" Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But he went and he was a combat photographer, mm-hmm. and he learned so much stuff. Where he taking p- pictures of senators, Congress, uh, vice presidents, and yeah. stuff. They learned they and they because it's the government. We gave you every camera that you can possibly use. Yeah, and he learned so much. And now when he do different gigs and his promote, he's like, "Yo, former army combat photographer." Yeah. Like that is a a thing. Yeah, uh, for a lot of people and. You got writers. You can yep. do. You can be a cook. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's a whole bunch of shit. Not that I'm saying go to the army and no shit yeah. like that. But but yeah, I have a lot of respect for those who serve, man, and the service they provide, the freedoms that we benefit from from yeah. the services they provide. You mentioned something taking your son on the different college tours that you you kind of set up on your own. I remember like when my son, he's a he's an artist. When he started showing some interest, you know, wanting to paint and draw and things of that nature. You know, I remember being younger and taking DAPSEP, taking classes at Center for Creative Studies, and I made sure that I put him in things like that so you can see what the art experience yeah. looks like in a university setting. You know, that this is this can be a life for you. I have friends of mine that went to art school and trying to push them out there to visit and, you know, see what else is out there because you don't know unless you Unless yeah. you really experience it and and get out there and see what see the options that are available for you, yeah, you you're right, man. And so those are things that we and our generation do for our children. That for a lot of people in our generation, our parents weren't able to do for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either they were working too hard or they just didn't have the the experience or exposure themselves. So, it's, you know, it's really that thing where each generation, it gets a little bit better. Yeah. And I, one thing I vow is that my son will not have any student loans. And that's one thing. I, so I think he's I think he has the, the intelligence to earn a scholarship. I think he is talented enough to earn perhaps an athletic scholarship. You know, he's been in sports since three. You know, that's that's another thing. My first organized sport and my only organized sport was basketball. started at age 12. And this kid has played t-ball at three, swimming at four, basketball at four, soccer at five, black football, everything, you know, violin at three, all of these different exposures. So the scholarship coming from somewhere. So the the money you made as an athlete in the 80s when we was growing up is different. Yeah. Yeah. Parents got a different motivation. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, boy, you go. <laughs> yeah, pick up that ball. That's a, that's an avenue. Well, yeah. but, but I like the fact that you've had them in something something different. You see, a lot of these kids yeah. are 
you know, I play football and that's it. Yeah. Like, look, we play football in the fall, mm-hmm. basketball in the wintertime, yep. baseball or track in the spring. Like you always had your hands in something. So like and I, I remember my dad always telling me, he's like, look, if you can you can take a hit in the fall, you can take a charge come the wintertime. Yeah. Like you need to yeah. be well versed in all of those different sports. Yep. I mean, and it's more attractive to schools who want to. Pick your, oh he 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 do this and this yeah we may be able to it's so, because there's so many skills that transcend yeah. from sport to sport yeah you know mental toughness regardless of you swimming or playing bass like that's something that's going to transfer over in on, on the field in the classroom and and it'll stay with you absolutely yeah it transcends so the footwork in soccer footwork in football footwork in basketball it builds on one another but the um the other point I wanted to make. Um, man, it slipped my mind. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let's keep going. Man, I do think uh, organized sports as a child, um, it helped you with different life skills that yeah. you haven't encountered yet. So being on a team and knowing that there is a hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Like, yo, this is the this is the best player on the team, and we got to do something different. Yeah. He can do whatever the hell he wants yeah. to to a certain extent. Yep. And you got and you forced to to work as out of teamwork. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And follow drills and learn. Oh, I, this not my father, but this this guy is uh, yeah. the authority figure in here clearly. Yeah. So let me let me pay attention. There's yeah. so many different things that you can learn and you pick up via team sports. Where um, I don't know, everybody didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, and yeah. just to be like a well balanced person, I think all that stuff is good. If yeah. you can take if you can take direction as a child, that that will help lead you on in life because you're gonna have to take direction in school. In your workplace, if if you can learn it and accept it there and know how to take that feedback and criticism and not let it cripple you, mm-hmm. not let it, you know, stunt your growth. And it's humbling. Yeah. Ninth, yeah. Grade at, ninth grade at Cass, I thought I could hoop. Mm-hmm. And I like I've always been cool. I played on my basketball team through middle school and all the other shit. You go to the tryouts and there's. 200 people there. literally you know what i'm saying and you don't make it it's like yeah. well hold on now yeah. <laughs> like i've always been good you know what, I, what is I, this I, and i can think of that say you know i came out of eighth grade i was already six feet tall but i was i was lanky i might have been 160 pounds but like in eighth grade like i was a giant yeah. the first time i stepped out onto the football field at cast I mean, everybody is, is, is 6'2", 6'3". First day at Cass. I ran into Glenn, who's six foot yeah. nine. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And DeMarco, which ninth grade first week he had a letterman. I didn't know he was the same age. <laughs> we ended up oh, Marco Cool. Yeah. 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 So like in that year, I mean that, I remember when he came out to like when I was in tenth grade, Marco was in ninth grade, and I remember like when he came out to practice that first week, we all thought he was like in twelfth grade. Like he just graduated eighth grade. I think he had a letterman like the first he week. He was bigger school. and stronger than everybody. We Coming straight up, out of eighth grade. We ended up running on the same AAU track team after ninth grade. So in between ninth grade and tenth grade. So we ended up getting cool. That's when I found out how old he was. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait a minute. Like, ain't you graduate? <laughs> I thought you was about I thought you graduated because you had on a fucking letter, man. Yeah. Uh, but like, yo, it's a it's a hierarchy. Yeah. And you recognize real quick, like, oh, okay, I'm gonna have to do something else to get better. I've always been looked at as well, you, I've, you never, I've never been looked at in a hierarchy before. Like, no, you got to do something better than all these other people that make you stand out. I remember 
uh, ninth grade basketball tryouts to stand out, I had on some orange shorts. So mm. that, you know, when you talk about the hierarchy or do, doing something to kind of set you apart, that was my way of trying to set myself apart. It didn't work, but that's the thought process that I had. But yeah, you definitely had to have a trait, a skill, or a characteristic that set you apart or allowed you to stand out. I know the point I wanted to make earlier, circle back to, we were talking about these different exposures and different programs you're a part of. It does make you more appealing to a university when you put that on your application. Yeah. So that's a piece of advice for our younger listeners, particularly juniors and seniors in high school. If you're applying for colleges, university, the more programs you are a part of, more the more leadership roles within those programs that you have, the better candidates you are for university. So not only do you play three sports, if you're a captain on one of them, not only are you on a debate team or student government, are you the secretary? Are and you, I play the yeah, violin. Yeah, and, and you play the violin. So some sort of leadership role, you know, diversified skill set that does distinguish you as a candidate from another, particularly if it's neck and neck and they look in the applications, GPA is relatively the same, strength of schedule is the same. Well, this person, four or five different activities, leadership role in two or three of them. They brain activity is killing yours over here. So yeah. I think this person can ultimately yeah. be better, yep. which makes our university look better in the future because we think this kid going to go somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Um. So as as an educator, you you're dealing with with what age range? You're in high school, middle now. school. Okay, middle school. So I've taught high school, and now middle school, middle school leadership. So administration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been outside of the classroom? Ooh, man, I'm going into my 12th year as an administrator. So my 17th year as an educator, going into my 12th year as an administrator, and I've been. I've seen a lot, man, and I, I love this profession. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. As I think back to being an engineering major, I don't know what I was thinking. But I was going to ask, like, how? Yeah, how, how did that switch from I'm gonna be engineering to I want to go to teaching? Like, yeah, was and, there something that happened or no? You know, and it's not just I can even see if I switch from engineering and then went into teaching math. I switched from engineering to teaching English, so <laughs> it was like polar opposites. So. Right. But I've always had a and, and you know you you know this you know we used to rap back in high school yeah. you know a lot of people may not know that about me students look at me they probably can't even see that in me yeah. you know they're like rap what this guy this old old timer <laughs> but the lyrics the 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 the, the you know the uh, literature piece has always been a part of me so the switch was easy you know going mm -hmm. from engineering to English education major no brainer when was both of you guys when was your first black male black male teacher what grade I, I had a black male teacher not many i had a black male teacher in elementary mr sims he taught okay. gym but black 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 outside male of teacher. gym outside of gym I, that's the actual question outside of gym what grade were you at when you said you had a first black male teacher black male teacher outside of gym sixth grade science mr williams at one of Hawter Middle School. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I had a black male teacher. I believe he came to school like seventh grade. Dr. Spence. He taught music. And I never heard of like only doctors, you know, in mm -hmm. my young age, in my ignorance, you know. Medical were, doctors. Yeah, yeah, medical doctors. I had never heard of a doctor that taught music. But I remember as Dr. Spence. And looking back on it, I didn't realize how astute and intelligent yeah. that man was until I ran into him 
Like I was grown the next I saw Dr. Spence last time I saw him, I graduated eighth grade. And then I went to uh, this musical presentation at University of Michigan and he was teaching somewhere in the arts there. And I didn't realize how his his vast knowledge of music. I we all been to church. Remember those red hymnals? Yeah. yeah. You know, Dr. Spence used to do a trick with us in school. He he would pass out the hymnal. He pick your name. He said, pick any song, any song. And you just just give him the page. And he could he knew all the wow. he knew the what whole song was on which page? he knew the whole hymnal by off off memory and could play and would and would sit on a computer and play mm. and and he had like a a strong baritone voice and would sing yeah. whatever song it was and and that's he was like that's how I earned being a doctor yeah. of music yeah that's interesting man I didn't have a my first black male teacher until ninth grade Mister uh, mm. Apple yeah. Um, history, yeah, history, yeah. Mr. Apple, history, and then uh, Mr. Hodge, mm-hmm. uh, who went to my church and got me fake arrested in front of the class because I wasn't participating. It's an old story, but uh, like, nigga, it's not how you get me <laughs> interested. Fake, fake in arrested, right? Like, gang squad came in no, there, put me in cuffs the whole night. They yeah. talking about, yo, uh, see, this is what happened when you do something in the street and you think you stay in the street. I'm racking my brain, like, yeah. what did I do? <laughs> They take me in the hallway, tell me, hey, man, Mr. Hyde just put us up to this. Can you fake cry? Like, now I'm about to really cry. What are you, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, nigga, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but, like, I've been in the 11th grade with Mr. Roberts, my, my well, English teacher, and he was probably my favorite or most influential person. Um, but, like, it was a long time before I had a black male teacher. Well, you know, nowadays, 2% across the nation black male educators so so, small that's such a small number yeah that's that's crazy that's ridiculous and so uh one of the organizations i'm a part of is in demand and that's uh founded by my boy Quan nellum shout out to Quan. uh rod wallace is a part of in demand my boy brian ferguson bay carl brownlee who was actually Quan nellum's mentor teacher um, and a few other gentlemen, but the nucleus are those that I name. I hope I'm not missing anyone. And our goal, our purpose is to identify black males, recruit them to the education profession, provide opportunities for them because we need a pipeline. We yeah. need we need to shore up the next generation of black male teachers because they are so hard to find, but yet so valuable to the profession. So like like you said, Sixth grade, I had Mr. Will. I had another African American male teacher taught math, um, but I didn't have him for the whole year. And outside of gym, like you said, how many black male teachers did I have at a young age? Three. Yeah. I had twelve years of, yeah. of school. I had three. Yep. And three, and they all were. Well, two of them was in the same school. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't see a lot of black male teachers. I didn't see besides Doctor Spence. You know, until I got the cast. Yeah. And even then it was, you know, when you look at the entire staff, they it was still yeah. fairly limited. Now, I remember, I think the personalities were a little bit bigger when you talk about Mr. Cool. Yeah. Like that's I remember the first time Mr. Cool walked. He was a presence. He yeah. was six, five, six, six, dashiki, yeah. dreadlocks. dreadlocks. It's, deep voice. Yeah. Yeah. it's 2021. I literally remember some shit he said in 1996. About the the forty two negative confessions, or now that I as I got older, um, the laws of Mayat and where the Ten Commandments come from. Like yeah. I remember a conversation. I don't know why I remember that. 
I was it wasn't that I was just super I guess I was pretty interested in it. Uh but like yeah. It's so interesting that like and he was just a sub. Dude, he was a sub. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that we know and we can memorize like all of the black male teachers that impacted us. Yeah. And I cannot tell you any other. I can't give you all the names of the other teachers that I've that I've that, I, that I've had. But you know what? Those were the teachers that cared. You know, I I can only I had a lot of teachers. You know, but I can only think of maybe a handful that I know like actually gave a fuck about. You know what they were teaching me as a young man. And you know the the impact that it was going to have on my future. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it wasn't. You know, some teachers it's like a, a regular. Some of them are just there for the check. You know, I I, I I'm I'm four years away from my thirty. Mm-hmm. I just I just got to make it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? For sure. Uh, but I also remember like, you know, I can remember certain English teachers, you know, and things that I learned in English class that that stuck with me. You know, Miss Das Gupta, Miss Davison, yep. like they stayed on my ass. Doctor Roberts, yeah, and I and I and I remember those lessons because they cared. Yep. What What do you think it is about English teachers? They always the most special, standout. They just like well, more serious than anybody else. English, unlike most other subjects, it's a simultaneous life lesson and literature lesson because most English teachers find a way to connect the literature that you read into aspects of your real life. Mm. So they're able to kind of teach you a concurrent lesson about life history as well, but English especially. And so that's, that's pretty much any good teacher will find a way to do that. You know, and we, if we think about the experiences we've had, it's the pep talks that we were given intertwined with the lessons that we learned that's actually related to the content. But I remember you know, talking sports, you know, let's talk about Cass for a second and, and Mr. Tomlin. I remember talking sports with Mr. Tomlin. I remember like, man, Mr. Tomlin, you drive a Bronco, man. You got the, uh, the, the rims with the, with the bullet holes in it. You know, that was, that was, that's what we would talk about. Yeah. And then, you know, I had them for chemistry. Then we would talk about chemistry. So those are intangibles. And that's what a lot of my former students will say is that the life lessons that went along with the literature lessons, like they they knew my favorite rapper was Jay-Z. You know, I would always have a Jay-Z quote to coincide with the lesson that we have going on. Like they'll see me still or they'll see or tag me on Facebook and, and hit me with the a lot of the, the quotes that I the pro, separate the pros from the cons and the platinum from the bronze. I, I would say that as I'm passing back papers. You know, we got to separate the pros from the cons and the platinum from the bronze. You know what I'm saying? So the A's from the B's, the, you know, for so sure, on and so sure. forth. Yeah. So those are things that stuck with them, just like those other life lessons from our teachers stuck with us. And a lot of it just happened to happen in the English I, class. I, I, think you may, I think you make a good point, like the, the correlation between you know, life lessons yeah. and real lessons. I remember one of my favorite books is Things Fall Apart mm-hmm. by Chinwa Achebe. And I remember, you know, breaking that book down in 12th grade and the lessons and the parables in yeah. the book and how they were just parallel to, you know, to, to real life things going yeah. on around me or, or that I could really relate to. And that book always yeah. stuck with me because of that. And not to mention your 12th grade year, the roots, things fall apart, drop yeah, that same, same year. Because that was same my first here. year of college because I'm a grade ahead of you. So my first year of college, uh, things fall apart. Uh, you got me. The, yeah. you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. But the name of the album was Things mm-hmm. Fall Apart. Yep. And yeah. then I was like, then the book. book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then the book. You know, <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. And, you know, we s- s- go back to speaking on the education. But, like, 
you know, being that you were a year older, even like a lot of hip hop that I was exposed to was due to our friendship. Yeah. I remember two things that you used to do. You probably don't even remember. <laughs> I remember when you would call my house, my mom would always, my mom, whenever you, you called, she would like, you ready? And I knew it was you because as soon as you call, you like, I need you to rap me something brand new. <laughs> That'd be the first thing that you say as soon as as soon as you called the so, house. So you you, you left cast in ninety eight. Yeah, graduated in ninety eight. Okay, yeah. so my cousin Lanetta went to uh, okay. Lanetta Smith. She, okay, uh, she graduated in ninety eight. So okay, boom, boom, boom. Okay, and I remember I wasn't, you know, I was on the fence about most deaf, and I remember you. You you gave me black on both, black on sides. both sides. Probably oh, was man. the tape too. You gave yeah. me black on both <laughs> yeah. sides on tape. Yeah, my nigga, um, mathematics. Yeah, like I still listen to that shit. I, I yeah. randomly listened to that shit last and week. And New World Water. I, could, I remember. The, I remember us arguing about it. He was like, "You was like, no nah, man, this this album is it." And you gave me like, I think I was about to graduate. Yeah, and you gave me black on both sides on cassette. Yeah, yeah, man, that's. I listened to that scene. I listened to that cassette the whole summer. Yeah, that was a dope album. You know, yeah, Black Star, Most Def, Talib, all of that. Yeah, yeah. that was that was a, a, quite an era for hip hop. Yeah, yeah, I do think the nineteen nineties is the greatest era. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm 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 t- I think maybe from nineties the from nineteen ninety seven to nineteen ninety eight may be the greatest year in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Now you you said something interesting, and I wonder how how do you do this? You said creating a pipeline, but you're talking about as young as like sixth grade. What? How? How? What do you look for? How do you kind of cultivate through those next steps? Yeah, really, it could be younger than that. And so, we don't always portray the profession of teaching in an appealing fashion as educators. We kind of present it as him and Hall, you want to deal with these kids? This is, you know, and we, we kind of highlight the the stresses of the profession, but don't really highlight the rewards of the profession. So that's one way. You know, we need to make the teaching profession raise awareness and make it more appealing to kids because you have an opportunity to change lives. Literally, you mm-hmm. have, you know, if you want to make an impact, if you want to impact your community or any community, there's no greater way to do that than through teaching. But a lot of kids don't really see that as a viable option. You know, you'll have a career day event and talk about every career but education. So you need to find ways to bring that in in and make it appealing to them. And that's one way you can kind of start that pipeline. So future educator type programs, um, you know, uh, mentoring programs are all ways that you can kind of begin to create that pipeline. Okay. Okay. Uh, So. I got a question based off of some information that I heard Dr. Umar say uh, when he was having a conversation and um, it kind of stuck out to me. And I want to know if, if you've noticed this possibly, he said, because there are not many black males teachers that young black boys are punished in school for not acting like girls. Let me clarify, not, not not acting like girls as in feminine, mm. but males and females are different. Um, how we handle, like when you got hormones popping off when you're 12 years old, mm. like you can't sit in your seat. So you may get disciplinary action where a young woman who has um, different things popping off in her 
may cause her to sit down. And if I'm a, a female teacher, like, why can't you just be still? Cause I can be still. The rest of these kids can be still, but just the physiology of us being different. And because of the makeup of the people in school, it can have a negative impact on how they're taught, um, how they ended up. I mean, you fuck around and they say at the particular age, you can tell who's going to go to prison um based off of it could literally just based off of misunderstandings is that is that a real thing well i'll say that the pipeline to prison is a real phenomenon so the pipeline to prison is when school related offenses have um school related offenses have criminal outcomes so a kid who's fighting at school gets arrested as opposed to suspended. Mm -hmm. So that's how you can accelerate the pipeline of prison. If you have, you know, an, an overabundance of law enforcement presence for school related offenses. So there's a number of ways that that can manifest. Also the pipeline of prison can look like a population of students who are over identified for suspensions. And so they're out of school more often, they receive more penalties, miss out on education, et cetera. So, and you often see black males, fall into that statistical category. So there is a need for African-American teachers to kind of help work with and groom, not just African-American students, but all students. But specifically, there is a frequency in which one African-American male older can communicate with another African-American male younger. Not saying it's a higher frequency, not saying it's a lower frequency, but it's a frequency. Yeah. An understanding a similarity that we see in one another that where this young man may see himself in me and may make a different decision, whereas he may not see himself in others and may make decisions that get him targeted for certain things. So I'll say I've experienced that in my career. I'll say I've experienced that throughout my career where I've seen instances as such. And I think he he also linked to that, and I left this portion out, is – they may look at it as a behavior issue and yo, you have ADHD or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now you classified um, as a, as a learning disability yeah. or whatnot. And now you're on a different track mm-hmm. where it could be just, we didn't have the right type of person or mm-hmm. the right energy, the right frequency in the classroom to address yep. half the school because yep. half the school is male, half the school is female. I don't know the numbers, but like, and they quick to put those type of labels on children. You know, my, my middle son has had an EAP since probably about third or fourth grade. And he, you know, he has some educational challenges mm-hmm. and he's had some behavioral challenges. And it's not that he can't understand the work or, you know, has a problem being social, but like it's hard to keep his attention. Yeah. Like if 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 he sees something going on in the background, mm-hmm. that's where his attention is going to go to. Now, if you you know, hone in on what's going on. He can keep up with the work, but he's he's needed a certain level of attention. And I remember maybe about fourth or fifth grade, he had a black male teacher, a young gentleman by the name of Mr. Carter. And when you talk about like that frequency, mm-hmm. he had had nothing but white female teachers up until that point when he had Mr. Carter, mm-hmm. you know, just, just the connection between yeah. the two of them, he was able to hone in and keep his attention a lot differently than than the teachers that he had previously in the school where he was at. They the teachers stayed with the kids two years, yeah. so 
you know, first and second grade, third and fourth, you know. So Mr. Carter was probably with them fourth and fifth grade before we had to had to move them to another school. And I could see, you know, the the complete difference in his excitement for education those two years as opposed to the years beforehand. And that's the only thing I can attribute it to that he had somebody in the class that representation matters, talk like him, look like him, you know, and Mr. Carter was a fairly young, because I remember going to to middle school with his sister. So, I mean, he is a fairly younger guy, maybe mid thirties. So, I mean, this is, it's like, it's like the guy you see at the barbershop, you know, you, you know him and he related to the kids, especially the black male kids a lot differently Mm -hmm. than, you know, these white women that, you know, related to these children. It was like you said, representation matters. Um, you know, kids need to see themselves reflected in the teachers and the staff um, across the board. But a big misconception overall with the presence of black males in education is that we're only there to serve or address behavior issues, behavior issues, but black kids. Mm. So our presence extends far beyond just being able to address behavior throughout my career. You know, the the expectation that, you know, I'll be the hammer or the heavy or the muscle. Yeah. Not realizing that when you bring me to talk to this kid, I'm going to kind of try to I'm going to appeal to them on an intellectual level, a certain level of sophistication. I'm not about to threaten them. Like like you mentioned, the uh, the the mock, the stage, the rest. That's 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 literally criminal for the person that did that. You know, that's not about sometimes that is the image that you're expected to carry out is that this big muscle and not sophisticated individual. So that's one big miss. I'm not no brute. Yeah, exactly. I got a a brain. Yeah. I have a brain. I have all these credentials, education, and I'm not going to be reduced to someone who's just going to scare you scare tactics to get my point across. So I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to appeal to the intellectual side. I'm going to bring you up to that level so where we can have a civilized conversation, even if you're brought to me for a behavioral reason. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's wild, man. Now, I saw with the think tank, you know, if you can go and explain, I guess, kind of the the thought process beyond the think tank, because one of the things that I saw you talk about in one of the videos is about the 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 disciplinary discrepancy that you see across the board. Yeah. So the think tank is a project of mine that I've been working on. I just saw a memory come through on Facebook. The first one came out five years ago. That just goes to show you how time flies. Mm. So it started off as some guys sitting around the table talking education. Uh, I, I coined it as like where the barbershop meets the country club. You know, we having this conversation, we talking about education and it evolved to where the first one was very linear. Several guys in a room sitting around a table, two hours of a filmed structured conversation because it's a whole process. And two hours edited down like two and a half hours edited down to two hours, but in order. So nothing cut spliced or anything to a documentary to where now I have B-roll, I have several five, six, seven different roundtable conversations that's all spliced together 
in the form of a documentary with the backdrop of how do you educate kids? How do you solve problems in the field of education? You know, everyone knows what the problems are, but don't just come to the table to talk about the problem. What are the solutions? So what I was able to do is take everything that we talked about in the think tank, because I have some of the brightest minds in the, in the profession. I got counselors, teachers, different subject areas, different grade levels, et cetera, and bring all of those ideas to the table bring all of those resources to bear, synthesize that, and put it into play where I've been as an educator to see how it works. Okay. Tweak it where it doesn't, scrap it where it just doesn't, enhance it, and let it fly. So ideas like bringing yoga, which is one of the ideas that Quan brought to the table. Mm. Ideas like a community garden, mm. which came from Frederick Douglass High School. All of those things are in play, and they work. You know, so if you have I did kids. that one year with my son's school, because yeah. my, my middle son, he liked to fight. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. his thing. He, you know, he's not big on talking, but yeah. he liked to fight. And I remember I never forget it. There was one year that he was fighting like one day in particular. He was he was having a rough one. Yeah. And the teacher called me two thirty is like, you need to come get him now. Mm-hmm. I'm like school let out in, in hours. Mm-hmm. He was like, nah, he been at it. All day. Yeah. But then he did have another. It was a young, young black female teacher. The next year, mm-hmm. they instilled in school discipline. Yep. And part of the disciplinary process was in school yoga. Yeah. And at the end of the year, he graduated with like a yoga mat, some some certification. And that, you know, I didn't have I didn't have those problems yeah. that next year. And yep. You put stillness in that man. Yeah. You know, that's that. That's. But but he learned how to deal with his anger in a completely you know when he was having a rough time at home you know because because just being young and not knowing how to manifest that anger mm-hmm. you know he he get into it one of his siblings he would pull out that yoke he go into his room yeah he pull out his yoga mat you know it, uh Comcast had like the the music choice channel he finds some soothing music. 20 minutes later, he come downstairs a completely yeah. different person, centered. That's a life skill he's going to have forever. Yeah. yeah. Forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So imagine implementing a yoga program to address undesired behavior, whereas students who express undesired behavior before might be suspended as the consequence. But now you're equipping that student with some strategies to govern themselves that he uses outside of school. Yeah. So, you know, you had a kid who was, you know, getting into situations in school, put him in a yoga program, and that's a tangible skill that that transcends the schoolhouse, and he'll have it, like you said, for the rest of his life. Yeah. We had, uh, believe it or not, at Cody, there was a jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, my French teacher, who was African, was the uh, – Head jujitsu niggas. Mm. I know. <laughs> I don't know what to call them. I don't know what to call them. But um, I never got into the martial arts. But from my understanding that I, that what I know about them now is that keep a lot of people from fighting, teaching yeah. them how to fight and yeah. teaching them why you do it and defense, whatever. Yeah. Like it, the it discipline from, behind it. Yeah, mm. for sure. The, it stops people from fighting. Yeah. Um, and that was shit. I've been we have been uh, since two thousand. So I mean that was. Long time ago. And you got to find other ways to connect to these kids. One thing that, you know, being a parent and having these kids go through this virtual school this past year, you know, one thing that I've seen firsthand is like it's a lot of these teachers don't know how to connect with these kids. They teaching 
out of a book or out of workbooks mm. and, you know, keep up if you can. Yeah. And the virtual setting forced, you know, a, a different level of education, you know, with, with how people are learning, how, how the teachers deal with these kids. And you can see so many disparities and, you know, class control, the, the way that they teach and even the way that the kids are retaining the information. So what happened with you make some very good points. What happened with the pandemic is it brought the classroom into your living room. And so now my teaching is on display for everyone. Whereas it used to be a relatively private, relatively speaking, private mm-hmm. in that I could come to my classroom, shut the door, you know, teach my heart out. And, you know, unless the kid went home and gave a play by play of what happened in the classroom, parents had a gist of what happened. But now classrooms are literally in the living room. So everyone is a student in that classroom. I've had the fortune throughout my career working with some dynamic teachers, some dynamic educators. And I think with, you know, the proper professional development, every teacher can be that dynamic educator. It just takes a little a little work. And but that's what you have to have that commitment and that level of dedication to put it in to get to that level. I agree. Um, And I think it's a lot of parents who just don't know how to communicate with their kids. Yeah. And they want them out the house because you don't know (laughs) how to have an interpersonal relationship with your child. You don't spend a lot of time with them and you want them out the house because you want somebody else to raise them. Um, That's not like a blanket statement for all. But I, 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 like you don't realize how difficult it is to handle your child. Very. You can't handle your one child. Now you want the teacher to handle seventeen of them through a monitor. <laughs> like they in yeah. your living room, you can't handle them. Yeah. Now I'm, like, even I saw a lot of that with my son. Um, as an educator, this past year and a half is challenging. I've seen the level of frustration set in on my son to where he has a problem and we're in this remote environment. He can't solve it. The teacher is not physically there and I can't solve it. Not readily. I'm occupied. I got my own tasks and I'm working on and it's frustrating. It's, 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 it's very challenging. And so this past year and a half, man, you know, the residual effects of this pandemic on education, this will be a case study for the next century. Man, education and and real yeah. life. So as an adult, I went to a different uh, company during the pandemic mm-hmm. and I'm virtual. Yeah. Right. So I learned this, this new job through a computer, yeah. my training, everything. And I'm getting familiar with a brand new team through a computer. And, you know, you got I am, you got people phone numbers. But when it's something that I just don't know yeah. because I haven't had the experience, you got to just figure this shit out. Yeah. And if, mm-hmm. if it's difficult for an adult mm-hmm. to just figure it out or to, to use your resources, go, you know, every and, company and, got like a some, knowledge base or yeah. something. Now you expect a, a, a seven year old to do it. And yep. something you could tap somebody on the shoulder of, hey, can you take a look at this real quick? Yeah. And it'd be done with. But yeah. now, like you said, you know, I'm in my I'm in my house <laughs> all by myself. And, and uh, the thing that you mentioned, you know, I'm working at home full time and I got four school age children in the house. Yeah. 
completely different ranges and ages. And, you know, I ain't been inside of a classroom in a long time. Mm -hmm. The way that they do division and multiplication now is a little bit different than what your old man learned, you know, back in the early 90s. We don't care to one, okay? (laughs) You know, and and that'd be the first thing. Well, Mrs. So-and-so, I can't tell you the way Mrs. So-and-so, but I remember how Miss Ostad showed me how to do multiples, (laughs) and this is how I'm going to show you. Well, Steve Jobs got this app called Photomath. You just point your camera at it and they'll give you the answer and show you the work oh wow uh, yeah but i used that to for my nephew one time to quickly grade his paper <laughs> um and also make up some shit yeah and ask you to do it i don't know the fucking answer yeah. but we about to we're gonna see if you did it right yeah. but it worked you know what i'm saying yeah i'm not familiar with that i'm gonna have to try photo that. math, photo it, math. Yep. okay and you can even it works if, clearly if it's printed out but you can actually write it yeah. and look at it and it'll give you the map and it'll show you the work Dang. Yeah, technology. Yeah, <laughs> that would have saved my life for a couple of years, <laughs> man. man. Let me get my phone. I go back to school. Like, what was this shit? Oh <laughs> uh, man. Uh, do you, what do you feel about the children transitioning back into the classroom? I guess what are some of the fears of administrators and educators? Well, well, my parent had on. I know that I'm ready for my son to go back. You know, he went back hybrid last school year, as did many schools across the state. Um, This school year, schools across the state are preparing for in-person, face-to-face learning, no hybrid. So 100% of the students in the class um, at a time. So some of the guidelines or restrictions, if you will, from last year are not set to be in place for the start of this school year. I think just as long as a school can provide, to the best of their ability, a clean, well-managed environment, I think that the transition back is is, is going to happen. I'm prepared for it as a leader. I'm prepared for it as a parent. Uh, Obviously, I pray that is not um, any uptick in the numbers or a need to go back to virtual learning because, you know, like I said, I I can't really begin to articulate the challenges that will be present for the next several years because of what we've had to endure for the past year and a half. So, you know, I think that the science is preparing us for a return to -to face-to-face learning. And I think that schools uh, need to prepare accordingly to receive kids, make the school environments, classroom environments as safe as possible to prepare for kids to return. I think they should go back to school too. Yeah. Um I think they should go back to school. See, I'm I'm more of a fan of the hybrid and my my kids didn't do hybrid environment last year. They just did straight virtual. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I have my concerns about, you know, you throwing the con- entire population back into the thick of things come September. They already the, here right now. Like ain't nobody social distance like Everybody is doing whatever they want to do. Like, we got this, not you per se, but, like, I can see if everybody had their kids in quarantine still. It ain't been like that in a long time. Like, y'all kids at the movie theaters this weekend. (laughs) Like, they out here. Yeah. Like, they out here. (laughs) They like... I just had concerns about it, man. And the kids ain't even once getting sick like that. It's even... it's only 1% of motherfuckers who dying, but in the smaller for chip, like, I don't think that's the, listen, I'll say this. When I was in the 11th grade, there was a viral meningitis 
uh, case uh, at school. That shit killed a girl. Niggas was never, they did not evacuate the school. In that same classroom with the uh, my French teacher. Like, she sat in that same room in a different hour. My, meningitis? Like, she had, like, spinal meningitis. Like, that shit is contagious. Like, you out of here. I just don't, I just don't know. I know eventually the kids have to go back. Like, the virtual environment is not, is not a long-term solution. You know, it's, it's a band-aid on a bullet wound. Eventually the kids have to go back. Mm -hmm. I just think the transition, I don't know what the right answer is, but I just think the plan shouldn't be as evasive as just throwing them all back in the classroom at the same time. It was hybrid last year. The only other option is the full time. No, my, it was, it was just full time virtual learning for, for mine. In Detroit public schools. So what's gonna go to school half the day? What is that gonna do? It's not half the day. I mean, like half the half the days. Mm -hmm. What is that gonna do? If you're scared of that shit is in the school, it's gonna be there on Tuesday instead of Thursday. <laughs> like I don't I don't understand. Well, it. there are you wouldn't you wouldn't have the full population all in school at the same time. Well, the, the the purpose and I, you know, your concerns are legit, and many parents have those concerns, and every parent that has that concern has a that, right to have that 100%, 100%. concern. So as a school, as a as an entity of a school, we have to provide the safest environment that we can and mitigate outbreaks or situations from occurring. Yeah. The hybrid model did do that. So you were able to control the population. So you had cohorts. So the in, inherent in a hybrid model is the cohort concept to where these same 15 kids are together on Monday and Tuesday and the balance of those 15 kids are together on Thursday and Friday. And so if there was a case that sparked up on Monday, you know it could only have impacted this small group of kids as opposed to potentially impacting the entire group. So that would be the benefit of a of a hybrid. But I, I think that given what we, no one knows really what the Delta variant is, is going to do uh, come fall, but given the mitigation efforts that have been taken for a year and a half with the social distancing, uh, with vaccinations, with masking, et cetera, I think that the state and states across the country are preparing for a return to face-to-face -face learning with the idea that it is under control, mitigated, and contained as much as possible to where we can return safely to face-to-face -face learning with some measures in place. This shit ain't ever going nowhere. Like in real life, it's, it's never going to go where just like when the flu started, this is not the flu, but like it's never going to go nowhere. Like is it going to go away and just disappear? No, but... Can the numbers go down and be as long as it's available, the number can always go back up when you next to a person like it's never it's this is some the old COVID was still here. It just wasn't, a, you know, like it's never going nowhere. So it's either we're going to be in this constant Internet virtual shit or at some point you got to go back to normal life. I'm cool with staying in the bubble a little bit longer. <laughs> I don't I don't have no problem with it. Hey man, delay the inevitable. You're gonna have to peek your head out the ground at some point, right? And when you peek your head out the ground, whatever it was you went down there for, it's still gonna be here. Holler at me in twenty twenty two. Hey man, I'm I'm ready to um 
to get some like at least at least let me see what it's going to look like come second semester because that delta variant i i just i just feel like when them babies go back to school we're gonna see the babies ain't the ones that's having the issue with it though it's the adults. It's the old niggas who, and it's the. And, and when you start herding people back into work and things like that nature, you're going to see them numbers tick back up, in my opinion. It's the unhealthy. It's the 78% of the people who in there right now. Because we're, we're so used to, you know, how often has you gone into work with a little bit of a cough and, you know, I'm a, I'm a thug it out. Yeah. You know, now, nigga, that cough is a little bit. If I hear you coughing by the coffee machine. <laughs> I may have to I may have to tell somebody <laughs> that Kente over coughing <laughs> coughing by the decaf. But guess what though? You should have always went home though. That's how all offices get sick. Like you should have when you was coughing by you should always Okay, go but home. but then your office looked at the attendance policy a little bit differently. Like you were absence away from getting fired, you're gonna go to work with that cough. No, but see that's a that's a personal issue, right? Because niggas use their off days to have fun. And then when they actually sick, you don't got no off days. That that's you. You mismanaged your shit because it was hot outside. <laughs> like we give you all these sick days and all this shit. Nah, y'all gonna fire me because I'm sick. No, nigga, we gave you seventy four hours worth of uh, sick time, and this the first time you actually sick. Hey, listen, they my days. I can manage them how I want to. I, well, don't cry. <laughs> when it's time to to go bye bye. It's always something, man. You got a who's man's. No, nah, we didn't man. We didn't talk about no topics for the week. No, nah, we're going to do this in reverse. Okay. Um, so, man, I want to talk about. Uh, so, listen, I do got I do got something to talk about. It has nothing to do with what, what, what we've just been talking about. But I think we've been leading people astray. With? Um, everybody, I've said this. You said this. People be like, yo, it's really fucked up. When someone passes away and somebody got to sell some dinners or do a GoFundMe um, to take care of a loved one, right? They're like, y'all need to get life insurance and y'all need to do this. I think we're giving people the wrong advice. What you need to do is find a companion, find a loved one, because that's not the issue. The issue is that you don't got life insurance. Let's say you did, but who got access to it? You passed away. I don't have none of your money. I don't have, I'm not attached to your business. I don't know what you had at your job or whatever. You don't got nobody in your life to actually handle your affairs after something goes on. But that's, that's like an education too, because, and, and the reason why I say that, uh, I forget the, the, the Bible verse clearly, but like a man that doesn't prepare his family for death is preparing them for failure. You know, when my father, I just have a theory that when people know they're about to die, they know, you know, when they get close to the end, there's, there's something, there's some type of wavelength communication that they didn't have with the Lord. And they know that it's coming to an end. When my father was getting ready to make his transition, he made sure me and my sister knew where any insurance policies, any important documents, your, doc, you know, your father was an adult man, documents for the house. Like I knew where those things were. So who, he took when when he called. He told us who who he wanted to do the body. You know how much it's gonna cost. Like those things mm-hmm. were already you know, in the, play. Your father was a, a a smart, mature adult who was prepared. Now, twenty seven year old dude who running in the streets who got shot down and had a a pocket full of money all the time. Niggas don't know where his stash at. 
Now it's like, yo, he had all this money in the streets. Now y'all putting something together to try to, to bury him because we don't know where his money at. Or, like, I don't, I'm not married. I My father would get X amount of dollars, something happened to me. But do we know the telephone number to call or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think this whole single, I can do this shit by myself. I think we leading people astray. You need to be with somebody and you need to have a, a, a companion in life. You need a life partner. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Even though, like, me and my daughter's mother were not together when I when I got sick, had she not been at the house, I'd have been dead than a motherfucker. Like, just plain and simple. Had she not been there to, like, see that I was physically ill, like, I remember, I was like, I just told her, I just want to take, I want to get something to eat and take a nap. Had she let me go to sleep, I'd have never woke back up. You need somebody, dog. And that's just her just being there on the on the humble just, you know, picking up something from my daughter, doing, you know, grabbing something from my house and her just seeing how sick I was. But I, I agree completely. Um, and so, like, don't turn your face up at the person who's gathering money online or whatever. That's just the that's just the way they do it. They, they didn't have a rich auntie to ask like your mama. It's normal. Like, don't turn your face up at that and, and say, yo, preach your life insurance, which you should still have. But who going to pay? How do, does anybody got the paperwork? Do anybody know who's going to pay it out when it's coming? Uh, Like, I think we need to just tell people to, to to go find somebody that you love and appreciate and be with them, man. It's, I wish it could always be that simple. It can. You can overcomplicate it, but it literally can be that simple. But people want what they want. Like, yes, I want, yes, I want to get married and spend my life with one woman, but I just don't want to. It may not wanna... even be marriage. It may be this is the person that you want to you need somebody to walk through life with, man. That's just how it is. I mean, I, I feel not, you. You are not going to operate um, I, this is my way of thinking. I don't think and shout out to uh, Detroit Red. I, I talked about this last night on her live. Yeah, shout out to Detroit um, Red. I just, Very interesting live. I just think that you only can operate at 50% of yourself when you buy yourself. Now that fifty percent that you operate at may be head over heels better than the nigga that's standing next to you. Like your fifty percent may be killing mine. Make more money than me, got a bigger house, bigger car, but I don't think you operate at a hundred percent if you don't have the yin to your yang. It's funny that you mention that because you know I got my surgery coming up, and the the hospital called me to just you know get the preliminary paperwork, and she was like, "So who's your emergency contact?" And I just kind of laughed. I was like, "You know me," and she's like, "No." <laughs> like I could tell it was, you know, a younger she's like, no, if something happens to you, who do we call? God <laughs> call, call another doctor, motherfucker. Somebody I, fucked up. And, I, and I'm trying to explain. I was like, I don't I don't have a I don't have a wife. You know, I got kids, but like it's it's me. Like if if I if I die on your the son, table, that's that's son, where your son eighteen about to get a car now. I, I I put one of I put one of the kids' moms down there. I was like They'll know at least who to call yeah. if something happened to me. But like that, that was like my, my <laughs> you know, we joke about people that put their parents as their emergency contact. But like, that's for real. You need somebody when yeah. the shit hit the fan to, to depend on. Because if something happened to me while I'm out in the world, like, don't nobody know. Don't nobody got my father telephone number. 
You know what I'm saying? And if something happened with my when I'm with my, I have fa- to reach out to your dad on Facebook. My dad don't have a Facebook. <laughs> That's not a thing in his life. You know what I'm saying? My dad doesn't have a Facebook. So if something happened to me with my with when I'm with my family, who gonna reach out to to my friends who don't have any kind of contact? You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, look. Yes, it's coming from me, but get somebody because <laughs> you need somebody to fix your life. Hey, get you somebody too. I got. I'm, I got so so say, it, say it out loud. Say it out loud. I'm I'm handling my my my, my shit. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't have surgery this week. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we shout can we shout out a name? What you mean? <laughs> Who's ever helping you handle get get your shit together? How you doing too much? You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> now, now you just jumping out the window. Uh, I'm just saying because I, I saw I saw uh, like some comments online this week about just very disparaging about yo I can't believe niggas is doing this or niggas got to do this. Like, well, guess what? That's what they got to do. And if that's what you got to do to 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 send your loved one off, you're doing the right thing. What 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 would you like me to do? If your, your 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 significant other or your your cousin um or your brother your uncle go out and you don't have no access to the funds and you want and you want to send them off, what you gonna do? Yeah, because pie only gonna keep you out the ground for so long. Like you know, so I know we be. That's not ideal, but I mean we are poor at the end of the day, and I don't like black poor people making fun of other people for being poor. And we all come for the same all come from the same shit. It's like y'all forgot that y'all grew up. Down the street from me, like I'm not as poor as you know, boy. When did niggas become Republicans? I don't know. Uh, Nas album. I like it. KD two. I don't can't say. Why not? So it's uh, better than the last King's Disease, in my opinion. I and I so flippantly and jokingly um, on social media, I was like, it's average. And I hadn't listened to it. I've listened to the whole thing a couple of times. And personally, I, I like Nas as an artist. I like him as a person. And I'm in no position to critique the great Nas. But as a consumer, I do have an opinion. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, and this is no knock to his producer, although it's going to sound like one. I, I don't I don't think that Nas has had the right beat selection to to complement his lyrical talent as much as some other artists. Jokingly, I just got uh, on, on, on Apple Music, man, I've been listening to a lot of old EPMD. So I was happy to see EPMD on the track. So you feel that way even with Hit Boy? I think I feel that way because of Hit Boy, mm. right? And so, and I'm not very familiar with Hit Boy's catalog. I know that he's worked on this album. He works with Nas, and I'm just like, I'm not really seeing the compliment to the lyrics that Nas bring to the table on this particular album. And I don't think that the project, to me, it is not as impactful as a lot of other listeners as it is for a lot of other listeners. So I'll say this, though. So I, I've been acclimating myself over the last month or so with EPMD. I just stumbled upon some old EPMD, and I was happy to see EPMD on the album. I don't think putting EPMD on a song with M made the most sense to me. It, it doesn't really match. And I don't want to take the conversation in a different direction. This might be a good conversation for another day. But I really appreciate the production work of Eric Sermon. From back in the day. And I, I, I said that Eric Sermon was primo before primo was primo. 
And the reason I say that is because, and I shared that idea with Rod Wallace too. The reason I say that is because the whole mixing, the whole sample being a part of the beat, the vocal sample being a part of the beat, a huge part of the beat, Eric Sermon was one of the first ones doing that. Think about uh, I Shot the Shit. I Shot Just like me. Oh, you might get shot. I mean, all man, a lot. Even, you know, more recently, which is about 20 years ago now, but just like music. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, I like seeing uh, EPMD on the track, but I, I ain't like, really feeling I, King's disease. Believe it or not, man, I like this not. I mean, I like this Eminem verse. Mm. Like, he ri- like I haven't. Uh, our listeners would know. Um, I haven't liked anything from Eminem in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to. Eminem is a a giant Nas fan. He's a giant EPMD fan, mm-hmm. so I understand his his connection, you know, with that song. But I I, I really enjoyed this album, dog. I think Nas and Hit Boy make a cohesive sound. Now I agree with you. I think there's some other producers that better complement Nas's rhyme style. Mm-hmm. I would what's love. It, what's Nas' rhyme style? Like the 1991 Nas rhyme style? No, I just think that he he sounds better over other over other producers. Mm-hmm. I would love just as a fan to get a full Nas and Primo produced album. I think that would get the best of Nas, just in my opinion. Last time Nas wrapped over a Primo Primo track was pro, what twenty years? Has has Nas ever? I had- never so. Biases out the window. Nas is one of my favorite, and I never had an issue with his beats. I think that's like a a, a, a shtick that started, and now that's like what everybody go through. Because like on all these albums, I've I've loved like Stillmatic is my favorite album of all time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not a whack beat on there. You know what I'm saying? I like I am. I didn't see. I didn't hear any whack beats on I am. Godson is steadily creeping up as like one of my favorite albums in general. I can't say it's the, but like. There's not I don't I didn't hear like the, the the whack beats that people always go to and say, yo, I don't like this. Yeah, I'm I'm off that whack beat conversation, but I just think now there have been like a so what's a project? Uh I mean there have been projects that I just didn't that, that that's not my favorite Nas project. Mm-hmm. And like, yo, this is not the, the greatest production, but it's not that it's whack. It's like But I, I think certain producers and certain artists come together and create, you know, a very specific type of sound. And I like the sound that Nas and Hip Boy have created together on these last two albums. And I think, you know, certain producers just bring the Snoop. Dre is going to bring the best out of Snoop. You know, they, you know, that's, that's a combination that, that, that just works in my opinion. And I, and I don't think Nas necessarily has that one singular producer. Does, does Snoop have that? What, how many Snoop and Drake tracks that we heard that we can put that nigga like, I don't I don't agree. 2001, I mean has a lot of Snoop and Drake doggy style. I mean doggy is, style. is it few and far between absolutely, but I mean Doggy when, style was the only one. Chronic Doggy style and Chronic 1992-93. Like that shit was 30 years ago, my nigga. I'm just the 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 sound is is classic though. Snoop ain't I, never rapped like that ever again after Doggy style. Cuz the DLC doesn't ra- doesn't write for him anymore. <laughs> the, I I think that the hip Hit boy, I'm not saying that the beats are bad. I think that they're average. I don't think anything really stood out to me. I don't think anything made my head bob. I I just so were you and this is a real question. So are you listening for the beat or the song? The song, mm. but nothing about the beat stood out to me. And the the beat is a part of the song. So, but you know, I'm probably not. 
Um, I like Nas a lot. I mean, I think he's very talented. But I'm probably not the right person. I'm not. You did say Jay Z was your favorite. Rapper. Absolutely. So there's. But that. I'll be honest with you, and Jay, I hope you're not there's listening. That. If you are, cover your ears. I haven't really been too overly impressed with a lot of recent J work as well as an entirety. I've liked songs off of off of, off of projects, but I haven't liked the entire project. Like four, Look. four, four, like three or four songs on there that I think are man, I thought stellar. Jay- but the overall, I'm like. Really? Yeah. I think that was one of Jay's best rapping albums. I think it's a level of consciousness. I think what he was on was very timely, and I think it's timeless. But overall, I'm talking about, but I'm talking about this his skill of rap. Yeah, cadence is like I haven't heard him rap that good, and like he was rapping, he sounded more like reasonable doubt Jay rap style versus. A more slower pace, stun on you, rap style. But a whole album, though, I don't. I, I I think, I think that reasonable doubt Jay reared his head for like three or four songs. I didn't think that it was present throughout the whole project. Mm. So, but the three or four songs, to me, are timeless. So yeah, I enjoyed that. I loved the fucking Carter's album too, with him and um him and Beyonce. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the Carter's album. I could imagine. Yeah, it wasn't. That whole lovey vibe, that's not that's not your that's not your lane. <laughs> so hey, let, let me let me ask you this. The the song that Nas has with Lauren Hill, is this the Lauren we've all been waiting for? Man, this was an incredible verse. I I think we not that it's a bad Lauren Hill verse, because I, I don't think it is mm-hmm. at all, but it's like we haven't heard it's it's the the whole hermit thing. We haven't heard from her in so long. Whatever she gave us, yeah. we'd have been satisfied yeah. for. That was a fire. She, she. I mean, she twenty four like, bars or something. Yeah, shit. I like, mean, she, she she can still rap, but it's just like the like we haven't heard. Like when's the last time you've heard a new Lauren Hill anything? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you heard her, Lauren Hill rap? Because she wasn't twenty rapping. years. No, I'm saying she wasn't even, easy. She wasn't rapping on the classic album that everybody that, that says she rapped like maybe on one song. Mm-hmm. There was not enough rap on that song for it to qualify for a rap category. No, no, you're right. So like we ain't heard her rap since '97. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I wasn't clamoring for a Lauren Hill verse. I just want to hear new Lauren Hill music. But like I don't, I didn't, I don't, I don't. Clap. I'm not disappointed in nothing that Lauren did. I don't classify her as like a. I, she just Lauren Hill. I don't look at her as a rapper or singer. It's just Lauren. But if Lauren Hill just dropped a a a, a complete hip hop album tomorrow, I'm on it. I'm on it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm on it. Who not gonna listen? I'm on it too. But let me ask you this: So, where does this King's Disease two rank in Nas's catalog? I don't know. It's been a week. Yeah, know. it's it's too early to tell. I think. I hate to make like snap judgments like that to an album. Like I need, you know, with, with it just being out with a little bit over a week, I just need more time. To, no, one to, week. It's Friday. Yeah, I just need, I just need more time to live with it. How uh, many, how many, how many albums does Nas have? This is like, I want to say like, like 14. twelve, maybe. Uh, no, no, I don't want. I'm not. I'm not trying to push you guys to any premature judgment. Do you see this King's Disease two being anything higher than six in his overall catalog? Well, I'll tell you what jumps out. So for me specifically, I know uh, six. Let me think. So I know Steelmatic, Illmatic. I am. I am. It was written. Um, it sounded more and more average as we talk. Life is good. Well, see. Who's average though? 
his average in comparison to himself. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. like, I have a different relationship. I, so, see, we got an educator in it. Like, <laughs> I think we should get rid of uh, A, B, C, D, E's. And uh-huh. It should be average, above average, or below average. Because that's all that fucking matters. Uh-huh. Um, people be like, oh, you got to see. That's not good. Well, average is good. Because if the rest of the world, if this is the average of the world, I'm on par. Um, you can give me a doctor who graduated with the A's and 4.0 in this in this school, but when I want to say, yo, how is how is doctor such and such at this dentist? Oh, he okay. I'm not going. I want somebody who's above average, below average, or I mean, those are only three things that matter. And all these extra grades in the middle, that shit is it sound good and to differentiate, but like in real life, what are we talking about here? And it's almost like a curve because if the whole entire class got an A and then you the only one that got a B, you below average because the average is up here. Everybody else knows every answer. Got 10 out of 10. You got 8 out of 10. So, yes, on a on a grade level, oh, yeah, you got a B. Good job. No, you below average. Everybody else knew all the fucking answers and you didn't. You're below. You're below average. Yeah. Uh, but so. Average for Nas could be 90%, and the average for insert other rapper, y'all could be at 65. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I agree. I think we expect more out of Nas than we would out of someone else. And it's like the example you gave before my 50% might be better than your 100. Yeah. Right? When you put it neck and neck. So, I mean, I, I like I said, I can't take anything away from him. I think he's a very talented rapper, MC. Overall, it's just that the last project, and maybe I'm judging it prematurely. Maybe I need to sit with it a little longer. But I have listened to it. I have listened, to, and nothing just really stood out to me. But maybe it's one of them by the third or fourth listen. It get better for me each time. I love. I like pressure. Death Row East, of course. Uh, Forty Side is the one I probably listen to the most. Um, EPMD two, of course. Store Run. He started getting to his his old other bad, of course. Uh, the joint with Ms. Uh, Lauren Hill, um, no phony love. You know, it's it's a lot on here for me, and I it's fifteen songs on here, so that's a little bit more than what people are people are be getting eight songs and twenty five minute projects. Uh, it's fifty two minutes. Of, uh, this is like this is a full album. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I enjoy this fucking project. I know mm-hmm. we didn't talk about it last week because. I don't want just came out. I don't want. I didn't want to talk about the day of, but I didn't sat with it for like a week. Um, I listened to this shit a lot, and um, some songs more than others. I don't listen to it. And I'll be honest, like just with the rap music that's come out this year, Nas can probably take another stab at a Grammy run with this album. Um, I enjoy it, man. And I'm trying to think. Maybe y'all can chime in. Like other than Good Kid, Mad City. I don't know that after I've been an adult, I've thought anything else was classic. And I think that classic shit that we put on rappers is because it was really good music and it happened at a time in our lives where this shit was like, it was an important part in our lives. But as an adult, I just don't be looking at music as, yo, after 2012, I maybe 2014 Forest Hill Drive is a classic album. Uh, but like it don't stick out it don't hit me like good kid mad city do 
I just don't know that I put anything as an adult was like, yo, this is a classic album and mean it and compare it to the shit that I hold dear in my heart. What about y'all? That's a good point, man. Um, as you now, when you that, put it like that, I, I yeah. can't, I can't think of nothing, nothing that you know. I've had some albums that I, I really enjoy that you know I enjoy listening to, but to put that, you know, this is classic material stamp. Maybe the maybe the pimple butterfly. I'm a I'm a, I'm a giant or or, or yeah. outside of Kendrick. I can't. You can throw some. I mean, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. That's 2010, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like a masterpiece of an album. Uh, but I thought. I don't know if I would say classic, but I thought College Dropout and Late Registration yeah, were both sure. great pieces of Cla- work. College Dropout for sure. 2003. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was what. Twenty one. Nothing so, sounded like it when it when it first came out. But at twenty one, I'm still I'm still growing. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? That's like still formative for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm still experiencing yeah. new shit. First getting in the clubs, you yeah. doing all your shit. But like as an adult, I feel the same way with basketball. Like yeah. I don't I don't I'm I'm not. Some of these kids is good, but when you look at Michael Jordan, Jordan was older than you. Insert whatever basketball player. It was mm-hmm. older than you. It looked better. It looked sweeter. I didn't necessarily ever look up to anybody. But it's different. But it's hard for me to say, look at this kid and he's younger than me. That's why why I think LeBron gets so much flack, you know, for his for his greatness. It's hard for people to appreciate some of it because of, you know, the era that he's playing in and 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 some of the youth that's, you know, we can still look at Kobe with a different sense of reverence because Kobe was a little bit older. Yeah. And then, you know, in the era of the game. He played right on those Jordan tail ends. So we had, you know, something a little bit different to compare it to. You had now, a real I, life. I know you're a basketball, you know, uh, an astute basketball <laughs> fan. Yeah, I agree. Um, similar to music, basketball, it's hard to pick a classic outside of a certain era, outside of a certain time frame. It just doesn't measure up, you know. But I think part of it is the nostalgia for us. Yeah. You know, like you said, looking up to them older, uh, us being kids. And even though Mike, for example, was from Chicago, still had to acknowledge that he was the greatest. Yeah. And greatest of his era and really the greatest of all time. I remember when I admitted it and I was pissed. I'm like, yeah. I was like, man, this nigga really is the best. <laughs> but but I but also like when I look at the game, I don't think a lot of these young kids could play or be as great mm-hmm. in that era. Do yeah. I think do I think Michael Jordan would, you know, could do what James Harden is doing right now? You know, <laughs> but I don't but I don't think James Harden would be effective in like the late 80s early 90s yo niggas be wild as hell on the internet they put a picture of michael jordan scoring over kevin McHale and somebody else that was like yo this is who y'all thought uh was this was the high competition y'all was playing over bus drivers <laughs> i'm like nigga that's kevin McHale. <laughs> like i get it y'all don't know because y'all younger like you don't know like nigga that's kevin McHale. he's what, a hall of famer yeah. like what, what is a flagrant <laughs> foul right now yeah. wouldn't have gotten a wouldn't got you a whistle yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. But you know, people are bigger, stronger, faster, um more I don't know if that they more skill. I know they put more work in to be skilled. They dribble the basket. They all the shit that we got now, if you drop Steph Curry in in the 80s, who the fuck going who going first off, he going to shoot from half court and they going to lose their mind. 
but they also but but John Starks is also going to take him to the floor six seven times in the evening. Mm-hmm. Not he gonna he gonna be scared to pull up. And then I'm a, so then I'm gonna start following niggas too though. <laughs> like so we act like the, so the younger kids now what they they wouldn't foul. Y'all gonna fuck me up. I'm gonna fuck y'all up too. And now we just gonna be. But the but the NBA at one point in time, and not to say it's like a good or bad, like the game was violent at one point in time. There were goons. Teams had you had Anthony Mason, Xavier McDaniel, like yeah. they clogged the paint. You know, yeah. you know, if Isaiah going, if Isaiah got twelve and he keep coming to the paint, yeah. Patrick Ewing is gonna be there to meet him. Yeah, I do think Michael Jordan is the greatest, but like I don't like when people use that as the determination of this era is better. Cause that ain't got shit to do with basketball. You physically pushing me down, not to score. Don't mean that you was better than he, me. He was a prolific scorer, and it, and he played in a time where where the rules were, were made it a little bit more difficult. The game is tailored now for offensive players. That's a fact. You know the the court is wide open. The the way that they call fouls and things of that nature. It's 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 a scorer's league. It's not. You know, for a big dinosaur, big man uh, to stand yeah. in the middle and you feed him the ball. So the game is completely different. When I look, you know, I, I've been watching some of summer league basketball, and I try not to get excited about summer league because I just feel like it's it's a farce. Mm-hmm. You know, you you get a couple, you know, first round picks that get out there and stretch their legs, but that's not real, yeah, real basketball. You know, you 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 get to spotlight a couple players, and some guys are. End up making a roster. Some guy, you know, I was surprised with Le, uh, Leangelo Ball. You know, oh I didn't, God. I didn't know that he had the type of game that he has. But summer league has, you know, highlighted what he can do. When I look at like the Pistons rookie K Cunningham, mm. and then uh, the young man that went number two, like Jalen. Uh, you know, you get to you get to see pieces of their games, but it's going to be two, three years. Before they're like a force in the NBA. Man, I gotta put some respect on Leangelo, man. I don't know why that he got so much fucking flack as if he just like the whack son. Yeah. And he can all He just never got the opportunity. He can shoot he's the best shooter out of all three of them. Like he I'll can say- play, but I don't I know he's with the Hornets right now. I heard a couple months ago that he was gonna possibly sign. And if he's playing with his brother, he's gonna be just fine. But like I think they did. This kid caught the short end of the stick all over that, stole them fucking glasses, and it was a downhill ever since. I'll say this about the Ball Brothers, man. I am thoroughly impressed. You know, the hype that was behind them. And I think a lot of that, uh, you know, when his father was, their father was big in in the circuit, I I think that it personally hurt the brand. But I, I get what he was trying to do to boost the brand, and it took away from the on-the-court stuff. But looking at those boys play, impressive. And you know that their father played a very key role yeah. in that. And so I think back he to— He did what any good black father—he did agree. what any good father would do. These are my sons. I agree. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're the best things since pants with pockets. Yeah. My nigga, all that talking, got his son. What did Lonzo get? Number yeah. two? Yeah. Lonzo just signed a new— New deal, four years, $85 million. Yeah. Lonzo wasn't getting drafted number two without 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 LeVar talking all that Look, shit. Look, he, he got two sons in the NBA that are making over $100 million. Mm-hmm. Let let Leangelo get picked up. And Three Je- sons making over $100 million. And That's nobody success to me. Nobody would have put the eyes on Jello if LeVar wasn't making all the... He's a mouthpiece. He's a mouthpiece. Let me he see this other kid because he, he can't be that good. The eyes went and then it backed yeah. up. 
Like, oh shit. I look at I look at LeVar like a wrestling manager. You know, some guys just just ain't good at talking talking for themselves. They need a mouthpiece. Yeah. You know, somebody needs a Jimmy Hart to yell into the megaphone, and that's what LeVar is for his sons. ESPN just needed content because yeah. he the same person. Like, every time you put a mic in front of him, be like, is your son better than such and such? Well, yeah, he is. But, like, whenever they, whenever it's going to be a slow news day, well, let's go get LeVar. Yeah. Because he's still doing – he's the exact same person. No, nah, he's never changed up. You know what I'm saying? But they like, just don't show him on TV as often. But I agree. As soon as – you know, when when uh, LaMelo got drafted, he had on the hat. I told you so. Mm-hmm. Like, he been he's been yelling this for almost a decade now about my boys. Like they they good they is good. I don't know about ten. No, no decade. Damn near. <laughs> Since they was in high school, they they Lonzo been in the league almost four years now. They've been talking, but he been in the league almost four. He played a year at UCLA, nigga, and around not, his senior year or so, my nigga, two thousand twenty one. We had not, we had no idea who Le- Levar okay, Wall so, was so, in two thousand eleven. So, so let's say at least five years for yeah. sure. At least five years for sure. He also. Maybe have blazed or pioneered a new uh, path to the NBA by sending his boys overseas. He also made the the G League start paying yeah, niggas. Yeah. He made his own league and start paying kids. <laughs> yeah. And now, oh, now yo, we'll take we'll take eighteen year olds. You can play in the NBA, but not the real NBA. Because now we got other options. He yeah. said, if you can't find a way, I'm gonna make a way. Then he made his own league. Had that shit on Facebook with his brand in the middle, BBB. And that shit was bringing in mm-hmm. millions of views. What happened to the shoes, though? Any uh, what happened uh, to the, the big them shoes? <laughs> I mean, they came out. And people got theirs, but <laughs> yeah, he needed them shoes just to, as another avenue to put the spotlight on them boys. I wish they would have did it though. I wish people would have got behind it. Fuck, I need y'all to do the shoe game for like because N- N- Nike is still the the king and. You know, people want their own signature suit with a you can notable have brand. Own, what I'm saying is the notable brand don't got to be the white man. The notable brand could be the person. You. We buying a shoe or, for you. Or what I could see, maybe he could have turned it into like a joint venture deal, like mm-hmm. Big Baller brand via via Nike or, or something to that extent. I maybe that might to, be the future. I just want people to, to, to let go of the stranglehold that you got to be with the white corporation. You don't got to. Like, all this shit being made in China. <laughs> like, Yeah, but LeVar proved everybody wrong. Yeah. My sons can play. Mm-hmm. And he stood by it. And, you know, like I said, you got three sons that and not really in no trouble. You know, don't, don't be out and about in the public light in a negative way, embarrassing themselves or the family. They just young boys that hoop. And, I mean, mm-hmm. he did it. Yeah, man. He did it. Uh, since we on basketball, and you asked me about who's my whose man's is this? Oh man, I hate to kick a man while he's down, but here it goes. Uh, Dennis Schroeder. Oh man, I get it, dog. Like I don't. You gotta bet on yourself sometimes. No, sometimes you just gotta use logic and common sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You turn down a, a eighty four million dollar contract over four years. And then you sign a one-year deal for 5.9. And after this year, you didn't even have, like, when he went to the Lakers, he had his best career year in every stat. Fam, cashing your money. They give you an $84 million extension. 
and you're on a team that's likely going to win another championship. Yeah. That's that's when you should have rolled the dice on yourself because you you won, you won. But they, but greed, they did. Greed they, is a motherfucker. Man. So he probably thought I don't know when they turned when he turned this down, but he probably thought they was going to win a championship this year. So if they would have won a championship this year, um, and his contract was up, he probably looks real lucrative. Yeah. But y'all didn't win this year, and now you signed a one year deal in Boston for five point nine. Now, granted, five point nine million is a lot of a lot of money, but you're losing fifteen million a year, my nigga, and you're not making it up. Yeah, that's yeah, that's tough. Who do you blame though? Your agent. Your agent. Yeah. You got to either fire your agent or fire yourself. Because yeah. I feel at some point you got some bad advice. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere along, you overplayed your hand. Your agent had to tell you, look, maybe you know you play it out this year. You know they only they only offering you twelve. You have a good season. You can command. I don't know eighteen. Well, your stats didn't. Sh- Matter of fact, this season his stats actually matched his career stats. But the year before, he had a career year, mm-hmm. so he went back down to his base. Fam, it's not eighty four million for four years, nigga. Who do you think you are? Yeah, that's a lot of fucking money, man. <laughs> I, now I wonder how is that going to impact this play on the court this upcoming season? He uh, allegedly, or the word is, he's distraught. Yeah, I bet he is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And now you like the laughing stock, which is unfortunate. You know what I'm saying? Because, like I said, I would be distraught too if I lost the access of almost thirty million dollars. I would. I don't know if I could leave the house. You lost more than that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just saying over the, you know, the he the, got a one year deal. Who says? That you not going – who says that it, everything works out after one year? Mm-hmm. What if this your last year in the league, my nigga? You turned in an $84 I mean, million for 5.9. We, we saw the same thing a few years ago with Boogie Cousins. Like, he tried to kind of maneuver and, you know, I, I'm going to play out this one-year contract. And then his career now has, they talk has about, sputtered. Now they talking about he may go to the Lakers – they, that now it's like, yo, we only got X amount of dollars. Who can they plug in? And now he wanted the people to just get plugged in for low money. Fam, you was like a, a star of a team. And within three years, you veteran minimum. Yeah. Like, wow. Life comes at you fast. Who's man? Opening this? grand closing. Shit. I mean, he's still a millionaire. I guess that's the, the bright side of of things to look at, but Man, you played that one played that one wrong, homie. Yeah, man. Oh, you know what? Uh, Macho sent in a voice note, dog. I was supposed to play it, actually. Shout out to the homie uh, comedian Macho. Uh, let me go ahead and play this shit. Peace to the park gods. Jay, Dame, um, it's Macho. Just tapping in with y'all real quick. I may have an unpopular opinion, um, but I think Nas's verse on EPMD top to bottom was way better than Eminem's verse. Hear me out. I mean, we all know what Eminem brings to the table, lyrically. You know, his delivery, his cadence, like can't nobody put words together and deliver them quite like Eminem. But it'd be a bunch of empty calories for me, man. So I'll admit those last maybe four bars, M, he really redeemed the first however many bars he had. But I thought I thought Nas was super dope. But King's Disease, too, I'm feeling the joint. I don't have a favorite joint yet. I do love the way the album ended, the last two tracks, um, the way the the second to last track started and the way the last track ended. You know, 
Uh, my Bible started with Nip, you know, Nip. So, man, that kind of gave me chills hearing Nip voice the first time I heard it. And then at the end when I was like, hey, yo, hit, we did it. You know what I'm saying? That shit kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, the vice president when she, you know, did the thing with Joe Biden. But, yo, overall, I'm just trying to get y'all feedback on what y'all thought of KD2. I rock with it. Nas has personally been my favorite rapper since about 1999. So I'm just trying to get y'all feedback on KD2. Peace. I have no problems with that opinion about yeah. Nas dropping a better verse than Eminem on EPMD2. Like, I like, I I, I wasn't upset with not, not uh, with Eminem's verse. It was a lot. And like, I don't, he's so nasally now. His, vo- his voice does not sound the same since his third album. First three albums, classic, classic, classic. Cool. We good there. After that, I haven't liked anything. And his voice has changed. He I don't know, but this was a better verse than um, he normally. Yeah, I ain't got no problems with that opinion. Shout out to the homie Macho. Uh, I did send you my music pick of the week. My music pick of the week is from one of my favorites right now. Bodie James and Alchemist dropped a new album, Bo Jackson. Mm -hmm. My music pick of the week is Turpentine off of Bo Jackson. Man, Bodie going to drop a project if anything else. He said he going to drop one a quarter. (laughs) I can tell. Where we at? Where we at? Bojack. Bojack. Time's got so hard. Let's get it. In every slingo. I miss and mingle with my gringo. It was just me and my dog, his name was Bingo. V I N G O, 3 5 Extendo Road. Fancy footwork was tapping on it with my tippy toes. Really, she a ballerina, boy, man, world after Topanga. Told me she loved dirty dancing. We did the Macarena. Whipped it back and shake so quick, you would have thought she had a trainer. All I needed was a pirate pot, a beaker, and a strainer. Look both ways before you think of crossing me as danger. Man, Jerome and Nichols, my defense attorney. On retainer, why they searching for and why? Looking for the perpetrators. He was just working my line. Now today we perfect strangers. First come, first serve, first in line. Serving birds at the shine, cleaning this. I'm a Bodie fan, man. Me too, man. I love Bodie. Yeah, Bodie's a he's a, a lyrical street rapper, dog. And um, you can do both. I haven't heard that song before. Now I like it a lot. And just for comparison's sake, to me, I think that beat. Is better than any beat on King Disease. Wow, can't tell you. With the hot take. Yeah. I'll save my hot take for when the mic go off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Is it time for the benediction? Oh, yeah. I guess let me cue up this music. Um, so, Kente, as with tradition, whenever we have a guest on the show, we like to give them their first opportunity to shout out their social media, where people can find you, where they can learn more about the think tank. So the floor is yours first, good sir. Oh, man. Well, first of all, thank you guys for this opportunity, man. It's good connecting. Hey, man, it's good to see yeah. you, man. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to be seen, man. So uh, the organic think tank at uh, the organic think tank at gmail.com. Uh, the organic think tank on YouTube. Um, also a part of a couple of projects, I am in demand, uh, I am in demand.com where you can learn more about our movement to get more black male educators into classrooms. So that's it. All right. All right. Uh, it's your man, Dame three underscores, three, one, three on Twitter, on IG at me. Talk to me. I'll talk back when you see the blue and the black. What happened? 
But when you see the blue and the black, you know where you at. <laughs> it's a Shop Talk podcast, man. Wow. Uh, I, I, MC Ren started playing. I hit the play button. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shout out to MC Ren. <laughs> um, yo, man. Appreciate y'all for um, 275 straight weeks. Um, my other Who's Man's This was going to be Future, I think. Uh <laughs> I don't understand the allure with that shit. I really don't understand how niggas be caping for future. That whole little text message shit with, with him and his child's mom. and Allegedly. Him. Allegedly. Well, his telephone number was right there. So if you got his phone number, you know that's his number. Uh, if if that's his number. But, like, you can't text your child that your mama hold. Like, leave the children out of this shit. Whatever. You should never text your child that their mother is a hoe. Uh, that's just, I, I don't understand it, man, but it is what it is. Shout out to y'all for fucking with us. When you see the boy. Having a child's mother is very difficult, though. It don't have to be. Uh, when you see the blue and the black, you know where you at. Shop Talk Podcast Studio. Book some time. I'm not saying we the Rockefeller podcast, but we are J and Dang. Hell yeah. Please.